Amen. You may be seated. Don't you want to just give a, a thank to these who led us and to praise to the one true God for leading us in worship. I'm grateful for these students. They uh, lead in student worship on Wednesday nights, and it's a treat for us to get to hear them and for them to gain experience in worship leadership. So thank you for praying for and supporting them. And what a great, uh, great sight to see uh, these children, students, and adults all together singing praise to God. I'm grateful for our church family and for those uh, all ages who sing together for the glory of God. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, I want to share with you just a, a word or two before we look at God's Word. Uh, last Wednesday night, we began a new round of CDP classes. Got off to a great start. Had one of the largest groups of new members class we've had in a long time. There's still time for you to get involved. So if you want to be a part of bringing up boys, bringing up girls, moving mountains, or if you're interested in Christianity, an orientation of what Christianity or about our church is about, new member orientation, still time to get involved this Wednesday at 6.30 want to share with you that uh, we've had a good problem the last few weeks. We sort of run out of parking, and uh, so uh, several years ago, uh, I started a pastor's gold club, and we gave away these uh, pastor gold club cards that you could carry. Now, usually when you're in a gold club or a platinum club or whatever, it entitles you to greater privileges, but the kingdom life is upside down, Right? And so the verse printed on this card is Matthew 20:16. the last will be first, and the first will be last. So what this entitled you to was the worst parking at First Baptist Church. You could also get in the back of the line at church Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, so it's the last. So we've, um, we've had some folks move and some other folks, now they've got small children and they can't park there. So we're, I've got exciting news. We're reopening the Pastor's Gold Club, and you could be a member as well. And so, and if you're already doing that, God bless you, I want to invite you to re-enlist. So there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. And what I'm looking for is 33 families or individuals who will park in the farthest lot on Summer Street past the retention pond or park with me in the library lot across Highway 41. That's where I park. And there are spots listed for both of these lots so to allow senior adults and guests to have better parking. We're about future Christians. If you're a guest, that's who we're about because we want you to be welcome and have room because we love you and God loves you and so we want to make it about those people. So if you'll do the inconvenience of walking forward, if you're able-bodied and, and don't have small kids and not a senior adult or whatever, I'd invite you to join the Pastor's Gold Club and, uh, and uh, share with me in that so you can sign up at the Welcome Center. Thank you for doing that. We're learning how we're supposed to live as followers of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus teaches us how we're to live. And we're learning that we must live differently. In order to be like the Father, we're going to have to be different from the cultural norms. And today we're going to learn that we need to pray differently from what the, the norm is. I'm sharing with you in Matthew 6, just to give you the context, uh, we looked last week about how to do church life, how to do religious stuff, giving, praying, and fasting. He said, don't do it to be seen. Hypocrites do stuff for show. We're not going to be hypocrites if we're followers of Jesus, so we're not going to do religious stuff just for the show, just to be seen. So he does that in parallel, and within the context of prayer, though, the second of those three religious things, he goes a little farther, 
And he tells his disciples how to pray. And so today we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And this is one of the most sacred scriptures and all this. I feel like I ought to take my shoes off as I preach to you about this passage. It's on holy ground. This is probably the passage of scripture that more people know worldwide by from memory than any other passage in the Bible. Maybe an individual verse that somebody knows more than this one, but no other passage memorized more than the Lord's Prayer. It's one of the great portions of scripture we're going to look at today where Jesus teaches us to pray differently. So last week we saw be different from the hypocrites, don't pray to be seen. Now we pick up with some additional teaching on prayer, beginning in Matthew chapter seven, uh, verse, chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Now, so you're not supposed to be like the hypocrites and that you pray to be seen, don't be like other people, non-Christians, who think that they'll impress God with many words or pile up merit toward God with repetitious prayers. Muslims pray five times a day. They repeat the same prayer at least 17 times in those, same, in those uh, five prayer times. So 17 times a day, they're praying the same prayer. Most of them do not know what it means because they pray in Arabic, a classical form of Arabic that nobody speaks today. And so they're just repeating words that most of them do not understand. Now, remember, I talked earlier about love. we're going to love Muslims, but we don't believe all ideas are the same. And, and here's something of what Jesus is talking about here. The pagans keep on babbling for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. The Buddhists believe that prayers that are offered repetitiously are meritorious so much that they construct prayer wheels and they print their prayers on a wheel and they spin the wheel so that they believe that spinning the wheel is the same as saying the prayer. So it's, it's quicker to spin the wheel than it is to say the prayer that many times. So they're spinning those prayer wheels over and over. Some have even developed electric motors to spin them, but some Buddhist teachers say that the merit accrues not to the uh, person who pays the electric bill, but to the electric company. So that doesn't really work. And they believe you generate good karma by the repetition of those prayers. The Tibetans fly flags from their tents. Have you ever seen those Tibetan prayer flags? So they're letting the wind do the work. And the wind is repeating that prayer that's printed on that flag over and over. So the, the, the view that you, you just got to impress God, nag God, convince God, Jesus says, we're not going to be like that. Because the next verse says, your, your father... That's the key word. It says, do not be like them, verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You're not informing God. You're not convincing God. You're not impressing God. You're not nagging God. And so he says in verse 9, then this then is how you should pray. And so the contrast is this. Jesus is telling us, in contrast to others, to pray short, simple, direct prayers. And that's sort of the, the contrast of this Lord's Prayer to the way that other people pray. Pray short prayers. It's, it's 50 words in English, about the same in the original Greek. You can pray it in 30 seconds. Jesus says, you don't have to impress God, you just short, simple, very simple words, direct prayers. Uh, you're not impressing God. My 
I have two boys. They grew up as preacher's kids. Preacher's kids, you know, they're an odd bunch. I, we had a staff member at a previous church where I was uh, uh, a pastor and uh, uh, made the mistake of getting my son a, a watch for Christmas one year, and so he started timing everybody's prayers. We had a staff member that would pray forever and ever, and so one day he prayed in church, and my son says, a new record. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not good, not good, a new record. Uh, Dwight L. Moody said, you pray two minutes, I'm praying with you. You pray five minutes, I'm praying for you. You pray ten minutes, I'm praying against you. Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, you don't have to impress me. You pray short, simple, direct prayers. So let's look at it together, the model that he gave us. It's, it's called often the Lord's Prayer, but maybe more accurately, the, the model prayer or the disciple prayer. This is how disciples are to pray. And, and you can memorize this prayer and pray it. Now, obviously, if you do it over and over just to think that those words are going to help you some way, it becomes rote like all the others. But it's a great memorized prayer. But it's also a model prayer. In other words, you don't have to pray exactly this way every time, but this is a model for the type of prayer that Jesus instructs us to pray. And so here he says, every word's important. Let's look, beginning the first word is our our. There are no first-person singular pronouns about us in this prayer. There's no I in the Lord's Prayer. There's no me. There's no my. It's all plural. That is, he's telling us at the very beginning, in contrast to where many of us are in our individualism, we're to pray with other believers in church, and even when we pray alone, we're to pray with an awareness of other believers. We're in this together, and Jesus wants to build community, and we need each other. And so from the very first word, our, and the second word is Father. And this is an amazing thing that we often don't see, as I shared with you 12 times in this chapter. He's telling us, he's calling, Jesus is calling God Father. He tells us now we can call God Father. And that is saying that you can relate to God as a person, a family kind of relationship. There's a God who cares about you like a father cares for his children, and you can talk to him like that father. The Greek word is pater, that we get paternity or paternal from, but behind the written Greek, the spoken language was Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the word for father is Abba, Abba. It's a word that a little child used for his father at an early age. It's one of those words easy to say like mama, papa, abba. You get it? Kids can say those early on in life. This is a word like daddy. It's saying that kind of intimacy. Jesus used this word. Let me show it to you. It's printed in our Bibles, this Aramaic word. In Mark 14, 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he dies, and he prays, Abba, Father. So in our Bible, it's in Aramaic and Greek, and they're translating so you can see that he's using both of those so that you'll get this word, not just Father, Pater, but Abba, Father. Everything is possible from you. Take this cup from me, yet not what you will, but what I will. And then Jesus, who used this word, the Bible tells us that we can use this word of God. Let me show it to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, where again, it, this Aramaic word is printed for us. In, in Romans 8, 15, 
the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. I'm saying that you can relate to God in an intimate way. He loves you. He cares about you. It's driven home to me. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. I'll tell it again. When I went to Israel on a tour, you know, tour group of Israel, we had a guide, a Jewish, young Jewish man who was our guide, and he stayed with us, of course, all week and, and went with us on the bus where you go. And so he was away from his family, and he told us that one day we're going to eat lunch at a kibbutz, which is a, a Jewish communal farm. And uh, he said, my family lives nearby, and so they're going to meet us there, and I want you, you to meet them and introduce you to them. And so in this kibbutz, we're eating lunch in what looked like a college dining hall, a big arched room, you know, that we're eating lunch with all these other maybe 100 people. And I'll never forget, we were at one end of the room, his family came in the door at the other, and his little children saw him from the length of that, and they started running to him saying, Abby, 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 Abby. And it just rang through that hall, and I just nearly dropped my tray because there I realized what, what they are saying to their daddy is what God has said we can relate to him like a preschooler who hasn't seen his father. God loves you, and he's told you that he can call, you can call him Father, and whatever you're going through now, there's a God who wants a relationship, a family kind of relationship with you. Now, he is our Father in heaven. So there's a respect to that. There's the intimacy of Daddy, and there's the respect of a Heavenly Father. But, and let me say to you that for some of you, this will be a comparison for your understanding of Father, and for some, it will be a contrast. By that, I mean some of you had a good Father. And so it's going to be helpful to you to understand that God in heaven is a father in heaven like your earthly father. And that's going to help you to understand how God loves you and how God wants to relate to you. But some of you didn't have a dad or you didn't have a good dad in your life. And here it is a contrast. And you may not have a father on earth, but you have a father in heaven. And what that person was not in your life, God wants to be in heaven your life. I shared last Sunday night that one of the pods at Coffee County Jail, one of the chaplains asked 50 of the people, 50 men in a pod in the Coffee County Jail, how many of you had a relationship with your father? How many of you had a, uh, some kind of active relationship with your father? Two out of 50. 48 out of 50 had no father. Fathers are important, right? I don't know if there's a direct correlation to why those 48 are in jail, but that's a pretty high statistic, is it not? But you, even if you haven't had a good role model there, you've got a father, a father in heaven, and you can pray, our father, Abba, our father in heaven. Now, we begin with the six requests. They fall into two groups. The first three requests uh, are about God. Uh, they are, he, God is teaching us to pray God-centered prayers. Look at the next slide, and I've sort of reversed the order of the first one so you can see the parallel of them. God, we are going to pray about your name, your kingdom, your will be done. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Um, the first part of the prayer is he's teaching us to pray God-centered prayers. The first 
uh, because you would think, well, it's uh, be better to be about me. But no, your life is going to be better when it's centered around God. You make a poor center for your life. And so God is teaching us, do you just, do you just pray about your stuff? Well, God's going to teach you here, teach me here, to pray about his kingdom, his will, and his name, rather than my name, my kingdom, and my will, which is what a lot of us won't fit to fit God into that. So the first re- uh, petition is, hallowed be your name. So God teaches us first to pray about his name. Now, this doesn't mean that every time you pray, you have to pray in this order. There are many prayers in the Bible where you in a situation and you just call out to God for your help. Oh, God, help me. That's a biblical prayer. But it is teaching us generally that if our prayers are focused on God, they'll be answered and they'll be the way that God wants us to pray them. Uh, Hallowed be your name means, God, your name be honored, your name be holy, your name be respected. And, and so it's praying. I pray in my house that God's name will be honored. I pray in my life that God's name will be honored. Our, our, God's name's not always honored in our culture today, is it? Some people attach other words to God's name and make it into a curse word. We're, we're going to pray that God's name be honored. And, by the, and so we're praying that in my life, as I pray this prayer today, that your name will be honored Back in 1986, have you ever heard the phrase, you ever heard the phrase going postal? You ever heard that phrase? You you sort of know what that means, don't you? Going postal in our culture has come to mean violent rage, especially in the workplace. Because in 1986, a guy in Edmond, Oklahoma, a postal worker went back to his workplace, shot 14 people and killed them, injured six more. And then there was a string of those, 11 shootings by postal workers over the next 20 years, 35 people killed by postal workers in post offices in the next 20 years. And so the phrase attached to the name of the place they work, going postal, not good publicity for the post office, is it? In 1997, a video game used that phrase for a title, going postal, so you shot people, and the U.S. Postal Service sued the video game because of disparagement of their name, and they lost the suit because it had become such a part of our culture. Studies showed that that postal workers were no more violent overall than other industries, but those cases had attached to the name, hadn't they? And so now going postal means violent rage and the name of the U.S. Post Service. You see, we bear the name of Jesus, don't we? You're a Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple praying this prayer, you're a Christian. May his name be hallowed in my life. Second request is, may your kingdom come. What are we praying for there? Well, his kingdom comes in two stages. His kingdom comes when, when first of all, in relation to his first coming, when people receive him as Savior. He sets up his kingdom in our lives. He'll set up his kingdom in your life today. So we're praying that your kingdom come now, that people come to know you as Savior. It's a missional prayer. It's for the spread of the gospel. May your kingdom come on earth. But the kingdom's going to come fullness in relation to his second coming. And he's going to set up his kingdom worldwide. And so it's really a yearning for the return of Jesus. It's a Maranatha prayer, another Aramaic word in Scripture. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And it's a prayer for that consummation. And then the third request in this first set is, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. So the will of the Father, that is what God wants, is done exactly in heaven. But earth is in rebellion against the Father. And so certainly God's ultimate will is going to be done because he's sovereign. But there is our world in rebellion. I don't think his will is always done in Washington. Do you? Always done. I don't think everything in America is God's will being done right now. Do you? And so it's a prayer that the will of God would be done in Manchester and in Nashville and in Washington and in North Korea and in Saudi Arabia. The will of God, who's a God of love and a, and a God of hope and a God of life, His will would be done. You see how we're praying God-centered prayers about His kingdom, His name, and His will. The last three petitions are about us. It's not wrong to pray about our needs. And now God teaches us to pray about our physical needs, our bread, our, our spiritual needs, our forgiveness, and our moral needs, our protection. And so these last three petitions teach us dependence on our Father, that you need the Father. And it, this prayer teaches us, I am in daily dependence on the Father. He begins in these first three by the, the physical. Does that surprise you? Maybe it'd be more holy to start with some of the spiritual needs before we got to the... He teaches us to pray simply, directly. Give us today our daily bread. I need to eat. I want to eat sometime today, don't you? I'm going to get hungry. God knows you're going to get hungry. And God knows the physical often trumps the spiritual. You, you're tired. You're hungry. You can't focus. God, God knows we need Him, and we need the provision He provides and he teaches us to pray that he's the source of that, not just your job. God, give me today our daily bread. It's daily. He doesn't say, God, give me next 20 years. It's daily dependence upon him for the basics, bread. Give me today my daily bread, our daily bread. And then, and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And so we're asking God for what we need physically, and we're asking God for what we need spiritually. God, help me to forgive as I have been forgiven. This is the only request that he makes a comment about after the prayer. So let's skip to verse 14 and 15. And he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins doesn't mean you earn God's forgiveness by forgiving other people. It means that forgiven people forgive others. And when you realize the grace that God has given us in forgiving the enormity of your sins, then we will be motivated and equipped to forgive the sins of others. So i got to ask you today as we're going through this prayer, is there somebody you need to forgive? Jesus says it's pretty serious stuff. He says, uh, uh, oh, an unwillingness to forgive somebody who's wronged us is an indicator we have not got it about the forgiveness of God. That we have not realized how much we have been forgiven. The final of these requests is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a prayer for protection, that recognizing the devil is stronger than we are, but God's stronger than the devil. And, and, and I, need, I need protection from the evil one. Don't lead me into those situations that will break me, keep me from being led astray, but 
protect, deliver us from the evil one. Jesus in John 17, 50 prayed the great high priestly prayer and he prayed this in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And I think that's the kind of prayer he's praying here. The doxology at the close, you may notice, is not printed in the NIV, or any of the new translations. It's printed as a footnote or in a bracket because it's not in the oldest and best of the manuscripts. You may wonder why are there are differences between the translations sometimes. And so here's one example where that verse is printed in a footnote or in brackets because since the translation of the King James Version, we've discovered older and better manuscripts that, that do not have this. It's still a great ending to pray. There's still nothing wrong with that. But if we want to hear exactly what Jesus prayed, then this is like Luke 11, where there is no ending like that. I want us to pray this prayer. We're going to put it on the screen and because you may be used to a different version. Uh, we're going to pray. You can, so you can pray with your eyes open if you want to and, and read that, that prayer with us. But I pray God will speak to you in some area. Maybe you've been worrying about your food, about your income. Would you pray? Give us today our daily bread. Maybe there's some forgiveness that you have just not been willing to grant. You're holding a grudge. Somebody has wounded, hurt you deeply. Today you need to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Maybe you have taken temptation too lightly in your life. You're in, in danger spiritually and you need to pray. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And all of us need to pray for his name to be honored in our lives, his kingdom to come, his will to be done. Would you center your prayers upon God and would you pray dependent upon him in short, simple prayers? Let's pray it together. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Now let me say to you, there's one prayer that you need to pray before you pray this one. You see, this is the disciples' prayer. It's for followers of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But you may be here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And there is a most basic prayer that God guarantees he'll answer. It's this, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It comes from Luke 18, 13, where that tax collector bowed his head and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's how you establish a relationship with God. If you'll admit today that I'm a sinner and I need God in my life and I believe Jesus died and rose again, and you'll just call upon him. He'll come into your life. That's a prayer he'll hear. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you'll pray today and just call on the name of the Lord in your own words, Lord, save me. I believe that Jesus is my hope. I want to follow him. I want to become a disciple so I can pray that disciple's prayer. Would you right now, just in your heart, say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to become a Christian. Stand together with me. If you prayed that prayer, that's your desire. I'm going to ask you to walk down one of these aisles and just share that openly with, by coming forward. We rejoice with you. 
Maybe you've already prayed that prayer and now you're ready to present yourself for baptism and be a church member. We'd welcome you. Maybe you're already baptized and you're a member somewhere else or a member nowhere else, but you need to be a part of a family because he taught us to pray, Our Father in Heaven. So we'd invite you and welcome you to come. Be a part of this church family. We would love for you to join with us in living life for the Father together. God's speaking to you about something you need to pray about. Somebody will pray with you about some worries in your life as you turn them over to the Father. Let's sing. You come as God speaks to you.